My name is Josue. For, for those of you that do not know me, I am one of the elders here at the church, and uh, anytime I get to be up here, it's just <clears throat> truly an honor and a privilege to get to preach the Word of God. And I, I firmly believe that today God has a word for us that will be encouraging, but will also be exhorting and uh, convicting. And, and I believe that this word is so timely for us at the beginning of the year um, where we've laid out some New Year's resolutions and we have some plans and we have some thoughts of what we want this year to look like. And then God's sovereignty. We're back in the book of John today. And what we are going to see today, which we read about, is this really beautiful scene where Jesus washes his disciples' feet and he serves them. And he gives us an example of what humility and love look like. But I believe that some of us have heard this story before, have seen this story before, have heard it preached before. And, uh, and I think we focus a lot on, on Jesus, which is rightfully so. But today I wanted to focus and, and, and really push us to, to see what that means for each of us. When we see Christ's example when we see what he has done, I, I really want us to push to see what that means for you and me as a disciple. And what I can conclude is simply in two words, disciples stoop. And I intentionally use the word stoop because I want it to stay in your mind and in your head and in your heart. I want you this year, throughout the year, through this week, through this month, through this entire next 12 months to think of this word anytime you are faced with the decision of whether or not you should serve of whether or not God is calling you to do something. I want this word to resonate in your mind, and it's quite simple, stoop. Now, some of us maybe don't remember. We left off in John uh, in October. So it's been a couple of months since we've been here, and I just want to catch us up briefly to, to where we're at today. So John is very specific in the reason why he writes this book. In John 20, he tells us that these signs he wrote about so that we would believe. That is the purpose of John's writing is that we would believe that Jesus Christ is Messiah, that he is Lord, that he is our Savior. And so he wrote all these things and the book is divided up into four parts. The very first part is him describing Jesus' incarnation, which simply means that he came from heaven, from God, and became human. He became the God-man and he dwelt among us and he came to be the light and the salt and he came to save us. And then he spends the next 12 chapters, which is the first 12 chapters of the book, describing the signs and and the ministry, the public ministry of Jesus. So he spends three and a half years on these 12 chapters where we see Jesus, uh, his first miracle. Does anybody remember what that is? Water to wine, correct. So Jesus starts the party, right? He brings the good wine, and it's the first sign that we see of Jesus. We see him heal the son of an official. We see him heal a paralytic. We see him feed 5,000. We see him walk on water. We see him heal a blind man, and finally we see him raise Lazarus from the dead. And so these seven signs John uses to show us the power and the might of Jesus and uses these seven signs to reveal to the Israelites who Jesus is. And we left off in chapter 12 in October, and we find a very peculiar scene in, in John chapter 12 where Mary anoints the feet of Jesus with a fragrance that was very expensive. And all throughout this narrative to this point, we have seen people come and believe, and we have seen people criticize. We have seen people follow, and the masses grow, and Jesus says something difficult, and they turn away sad and walk away. We have seen people want to get closer to him, and we have seen people beginning to plot to kill him. 
And so the first part of this book, the 12 chapters, are on three and a half years of public ministry where John is pointing us to the reality that Jesus is delight. And he'll spend the rest of the book focused on the last few days of Jesus, which lets us know that there is a lot of gravity and a lot of good things we need to take from these last few chapters. Specifically, these next four chapters are known as the Upper Room Discourse, where Jesus turns from his public ministry and he turns to witness to his witnesses, to his disciples. And therefore, the words, if you have a red-letter Bible, you will see that the next few chapters are full of red-letter words, which means that these are words for you and for me as believers, as his disciples. He's turning to us now, and here specifically, within 24 hours, he will be crucified. And so these words carry a lot of weight. He's very intentional about what he says and about what he does. And so we see the scene in John 12 of the feet of Jesus being anointed, and now we see Jesus wash his disciples' feet. And I've been thinking and, and trying to figure out how to kind of describe to you what this culturally meant at that time. You know, it, our feet are something that's just very interesting, right? It's something we don't really think much about. They're covered. We walk in them. But, it, but if I came up to you as my brother, let's just say as my brother, and I said, bro, I really love you, and I want to show you how much I love you. Uh, can you please take off your shoes and let me give you a foot rub? You would probably think, uh, bro, that's really weird. Like, please do not do that to me, right? We just don't have a context for kind of what this was at that time. Even today, our feet are something that just, there's something intimate about them, right? That's, that's kind of reserved for the home and for a pedicure, right? <laughs> but there's something very intimate about this. And Jesus will use this to show us that disciples stoop, that Jesus loved us so much that he would stoop from heaven to earth. And then even in his last hours, he was stooped to the lowest possible place to show us an example of humility and love. Not so that we can say, wow, Jesus truly is full of unconditional love. But at the end, he explains what he did. And he says, so that I would be an example of what you two should do for one another. And so because Jesus has lovingly served us, you and I as disciples are called to stoop, we're called to serve, and we're called to reveal Jesus to a world that desperately needs him. So let us start. And we will intentionally spend a lot of time in the first part of this text because I need us to understand our why. Otherwise, our how will be confusing. We will not understand it and we will question it. So we will spend a good amount of time in some things that John says that seem pretty straightforward and yet will reveal to us the great depth of who Jesus is in our lives. And when we can grasp the why I firmly believe that our how will come a little bit more natural. We will have to fight ourselves to get into the how, but we will know it's worth it because of our why, who is Jesus. So let's start in verse 1. Now before the feast of Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the very end. Now, the Feast of Passover was this great festival or feast where people would come into Jerusalem. They would travel and once a year remember when they were freed from enslavement to Egypt back in Exodus 12. And so they would come and gather and they would eat in each other's homes. And they would remember the day that, Jesus, or that God passed over the Israelites when the angel of death came to slay the firstborn in Egypt. And yet he passed over those that had blood on their, the blood of the lamb on their, on their door. 
And so it was a big event. It was very commemorative. And I think it's so beautiful that Jesus would do this on this day because for the rest of their time, as they celebrate and remember not just deliverance from Egypt, they would remember what Jesus did on this night. And it says that Jesus knew that his hour had come. And it's interesting. We, we see the word knew, and it's not just a premonition. It's not that Jesus was psychic and he could see the future. Is that Jesus had truly began to understand and grasp. He, he, he knew this was his hour. He knew what was coming. He knew what was to come. And this hour was what he came to earth for. This hour where he would go on the cross and die for, his, for sinners. He would die for you and for me. This was his hour. This is the reason he came to earth. And so he knew this hour had come. Now I have to ask you, what have you been placed on earth to do? What hour do you long for? Maybe Monday through Friday is the 5 p.m. hour, right? Ready to go home, clock out. I long for that hour. Maybe it's the weekend. You're long to relax and hang out. Maybe if you're a parent, it's once my kid turns three and gets out of the terrible twos, that's the hour I long for. And Jesus came to earth and the hour he longed for, the hour he was ready for, was this hour where he would be crucified. And John uses this word very purposefully throughout his book. And he, up to this point, has said his hour had not come. His hour had not come. But it's here now. And his hour has come. And so I have to ask you about your hours. What are you longing for? What do you truly believe you are set, you've been placed on earth to do? Look at your time. Look at the way you spend it. Look at your joys, where you truly find joy. Maybe we confuse joy with happiness. Look at what, what you're longing for, right? Maybe it's a promotion. Maybe it's the next house. Maybe it's to get married. Amen. Maybe it's the next steps in your career. Jesus' life will tell us that our greatest hour comes when we die to ourselves and out of our identity in him. We lovingly serve. What if we became a church that went from sitting to stooping? What if this year that's our reality? And what from now, what if from now on that's our reality? That we would be a church that goes from sitting to stooping because the hour we long for is not just the hour of relief. The hour we long for is the hour that we get to reveal who Christ is to a world that desperately needs it and to one another. Now Jesus says his hour had come to depart from this world to the Father. Now pay attention, Jesus, or John points out that it, Jesus isn't hoping for heaven. He is ready to go back to the presence of the Father. And many of us don't live like this. Day to day, it's hard to be reminded of this, that our greatest joy and our greatest place is in the presence of Christ. It is not the absence of turmoil. It is not the absence of discomfort, but it is the, the presence of Christ in our lives. And Jesus knew that through this agonizing time he would have over the next few hours and days, he was going back to the Father. And he knew the only passage to that was death. And for us, that means that we must understand that it is death unto ourselves that is the passageway to the presence of Christ. And this is the beautiful promise that we have. He loved them, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The object of his love are his own. 
and the extent of his love is to the end. He knew that Philip would misunderstand him. He knew that Judas would betray him. He knew that Peter would deny him. He knew that they would all turn away from him. And yet he loved them, not just then, but he loved them to the end of the time. He loved them to the end, to the full extent of the end. And what that means is he loves you and me despite ourselves. He loves us until the end of ourselves. He loves us despite our miserable failures, unto the end of our wanderings and backslidings, unto the end of our unworthiness, unto the end of our deep end. And this has to resonate in us before we can truly understand what it is Christ is doing for us. It's that he loves us. And that's the basis for the rest of the text. It's his love for us that he would come and serve us and save us from ourselves, from sin, from the kingdom of darkness and bring us into his kingdom, the one of the beloved son. And so we see that Jesus stooped, that Jesus loves us. And so let's continue. Verse 2, during supper when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas. All right, now let's stop right there. I think it can be really easy just to kind of, kind of brush through that or, or, or rush through that. But it was the Satan who put it in the heart of Judas to betray him. And so what I see here is the first person we encounter in this story is Jesus. And he is the main person that we will see in this story. The second person we encounter is Judas, who has been plotting against Jesus without realizing, who has sat under Jesus for three and a half years and yet would betray him. And what we see here is that it's a heart condition. It's a heart condition. After all this time of sitting and being with Jesus, Judas will still betray him. What's the price of your betrayal? What's the cost or what's the price for you to betray Jesus? Maybe it's money. Maybe it's sex. Maybe it's alcohol or drugs, maybe it's a comfortable life. Maybe it's the life of the suburbs where we make that priority. We make that the first thing and we forget that really the first thing is Christ. I have to remind us that it is a heart condition. And many of us might read this story and think, I'm not Judas. But the reality is that many, many days we are Judas. Many, many days we betray the one who has saved us. For what? It's interesting in this entire narrative, we don't see Judas speak up. And yet in the last story of John 12, where a very expensive fragrance is broken, he speaks up. He has no problem speaking up and saying, that's expensive. We should have done, we should have sold that for the poor. And John lets us know that it wasn't good intentions that drove him to say that. It was because he was stealing for himself. You see, our wallets follow our heart. Our actions follow our heart. And so if you really want to know what you believe, pay attention to what you do. Pay attention to what you talk about. Pay attention to what you prioritize. And that will let you know what is truly in your heart. That will let you know what is truly your affection. That will let you know what is truly Lord over you. For Judas, that was money. And that would be the thing that would drive him to betray Jesus. And that's the reason we say here, it is all of life. We don't just follow Jesus here at the gathering, when we sing, when we hear a sermon, we don't just follow Jesus when it's convenient. We don't just follow Jesus when um, we are 
study, doing Bible study or growth group or, or, any, or, or just the days where we gather as a family, we follow Jesus in all of life. And that means that it's with our truth, with our treasure, with our talent, with our time. What are you highlighting in your life? What are you longing for? What's next? And is your greatest joy Jesus? And is your greatest joy in your heart to follow Christ? Is your greatest joy truly to share the gospel for, to a world that desperately needs it? Let's continue. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He set aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured, then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel that was wrapped around him. John spins, uses these words very intentionally to let us know who Jesus is. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God. This is the identity of Jesus. He is God. He came, he condescended from heaven, came to earth to dwell and be among us. And this is his identity. Jesus knew his position and this is what freed him to serve. You see, identity precedes behavior. We've heard that multiple times here at the Grove. Our identity precedes our behavior. And Jesus was so well grounded in his identity that for him, what he was about to do was love and humble himself. He knew he was going to empty himself out. Philippians 2 will tell us that. You know what's interesting? Philippians 2, contextually, is Paul talking to us of how we are to relate to one another. And he says, have the same mindset of Christ, which is here. That he counted being God nothing, and then instead emptied himself out to serve us. And so, I just want you to imagine this scene with me. You're sitting around the dinner, this big event, very intimate, and all of a sudden you see Jesus stand up. Now, at that time, maybe we know this, there weren't cars, right? It was 2,000 years ago, so that stuff didn't exist. All the technology we have now didn't exist, and they wore sandals. And they would walk long journeys, and their feet would get dirty, right? And on these paths, there, were, there was dirt, dirt, there was debris, there was maybe some dung from all the horses and donkeys that passed by. And so when you stepped into a house, you needed to wash your feet so that you would not have those things on you as you sat at the dinner table. And Jesus, to this point, has been their teacher, has taught them. And so at that time, they didn't really have schools like we have now. They had uh, masters that you, you were a servant under, and they would teach you all these things. And so you were there to serve the master. The master was not there to serve you. But imagine you're sitting around the dinner table with somebody you, you admire. Maybe it's a politician. Maybe it's a sports figure. Maybe, maybe whatever that person is to you. And just imagine you're sitting at dinner. It was Thanksgiving dinner or Christmas dinner, and you're sitting down. And this person just randomly gets up and says, I'm going to serve you. It would be very, very hard for us to kind of grasp that. And yet Jesus here, because he's so rooted in his identity, gets up and John says he removes his outer garments. This is so intimate that he removes his outer garments. Some commentaries believe that he, he, he was just down to his loincloth. Now imagine how bare and exposed and vulnerable he was before his disciples. Because he knew his identity was God, because he knew his identity was to be the, the salvation of this world, he had no problem removing these outer garments because this was going to be an act of humility. And so he ties a towel around his waist. And what does he do? He stoops. He stoops to the ground and takes a basin and takes a jar and begins to wash the disciples' feet. 
Again, there's dirt, there's debris, there's dung, there's all these things on there that, on the disciples' feet that are not clean. And Jesus at the dinner table gets his hands dirty in an act of humility. Now, they don't get it yet, and we'll get to there in a second, but is this our posture as a church? Is this our posture as disciples? That we would remove our outer clothing, that we would remove whatever it is we identify as, that we would move beyond our status, our education, our position, and that we would get down to our identity, and our identity is that of a disciple, is that of a servant, is that of a missionary. What identity are you rooted in? You see, momentary happiness is not enough. It never fills us. And when we act out of identity, an identity that is not rooted in the gospel and is not rooted as a disciple, we never fill that void of wanting more and more and more. But when we're rooted in the gospel, we're free to remove our outer clothing, to remove whatever status we have, to remove whatever it is we value to serve others. And our greatest joy is in revealing who Jesus is. But many of us walk still showing more of ourselves than of Christ. And I think this is the call for us today, is that we would move past ourselves. We would move past our pride and that we would humble ourselves. For you see, because God loved us to the very end, he humbled himself and he acted on it. Love requires humility and action. And that's for all of us here that are disciples. And so the threat continues. What is in your heart? What is in your heart will shape what you do. What's in your heart will shape what you do. Either you will stand up and keep your outer garments on and keep walking and keep showing and keep being, or you will remove your outer garments and you will reveal your identity in Christ and you will stoop and you will serve. And so what we see in this first section, and the reason it's so important that I spent so much time on this, is that disciples stoop because we know it all starts and it ends with Jesus. You and I are not the saviors. You and I are not the heroes of the story. It is Jesus from the beginning to the end, and we get to be a small part of the kingdom of God to reveal the kingdom of God. But it starts and it ends with Jesus. And when this reality settles in on us, that the God of heaven would stoop down and would serve us, then we are left without excuse to serve one another and to serve the world. Because we know that the start of the story and the end of the story is Jesus. The start and end is not you and me. The start and end is not our own lives. It's not who we are or what we want or what we hope to have when we are 60 or 70. No, the starting end of the story is Jesus Christ himself. And so disciples stoop because they know it all starts and ends with Jesus. Let's continue in the narrative. Verse six, he came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, if you do not wash, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands. It's the third person, right? Peter. You love Peter. Outspoken. You never have to guess what he's thinking. Some of us are like that, right? We need some more filters in our mouths. But Peter, no filter. I've heard it say that Peter always got it right the second and third time. So many of us are like that, right? And we, we're trying. We want to serve. We want to do good. And, and yet sometimes we don't get it. And, and so here it is. Peter sitting down. 
right? They didn't have chairs. We were reclining at a table, so I'm just using this as an example. But he's sitting down, and uh, you know, Luke would tell us that at that time, uh, the disciples were actually debating of who was the greatest among them. Who was the greatest disciple among them? And, and we can kind of gather from the text that there wasn't a, a slave to actually wash their feet. Normally, that was reserved for the lowest-ranking slave at the house. But if there wasn't one, then they would do it for one another. But they're here in the middle of a, of a debate of who's the greatest, who's the greatest apostle. And so it would have been a sign of inferiority for one of them to kneel down and wash each other's feet. But here it is. Jesus stands up and begins to wash disciples' feet. And he comes to Peter, who speaks out and he's like, Lord, right? States the obvious. Are you going to wash my feet? Like, ah. Jesus tells him, Peter, if I don't wash your feet, you have no share with me. You, have, you will have no fellowship with me, right? And, and in true Peter form, what does he say? Well, in that case, Lord, wash my hands and wash my head. Just, just dump all the water on me. Give it to me. And Jesus says, oh, Peter, you, he's so gentle. I, I imagine the Lord being so gentle with him. Oh, Peter, you don't understand yet. But I'm about to explain it to you. Now, it's interesting, this dichotomy between Peter and Judas, right? Judas here has no words because what he values is evident in the previous chapter. Peter here has words because what he values is Christ. And he wants to follow him even though he fails forward. He wants to be obedient even though he will deny him. And yet God will use him to build his church. And so Peter says... Lord, what are you doing? You, you, I should wash your feet. And Jesus tells him, no, I will wash your feet because you don't understand. See, this is the thing. It's, it's a requirement for all disciples. This is the requirement from here is that we should be washed by Jesus. Our fellowship with Jesus is at stake here. And I'm about to explain what this means in a second. But our fellowship with Jesus is at stake when we tell him, Lord, don't wash my feet. Our fellowship with Jesus and with one another is at stake. And this is the interesting thing I, I think we see in Peter, is that when we don't understand what God is doing, we question it. And when we think we understand what Jesus is doing, we feel we can stipulate the conditions to him, right? That's how we are. As well-intentioned disciples as we try to be, what we see is that when we don't understand, we will question. And when we think we understand, we will try to stipulate the conditions of how Jesus will serve us. And for me, I believe this is a pride issue in our hearts. It's what keeps us from having true fellowship with Jesus and honestly with one another because he's about to tell us we are to do this to one another. Verse 10, Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to be washed except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you, for he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. And so Jesus here begins to allude to a couple of things. One, justification. Two, sanctification. And he is telling them, because you are my own, because you belong to me, you have already been bathed. You have already been given the gift of faith. And that's called justification, that we would be made righteous before God because of what Christ will complete on the cross, because of the work he would complete on the cross, and because of his resurrection. And so we are justified before God. But he says, you don't need a wash or bathe every day, what you need to do every day is have what? Sanctification is to wash your feet. And so the end goal of Jesus serving us is forming us into loving servants to represent him in, on earth. You see, Jesus didn't just come to serve us for our convenience. 
But many of us maybe sit sometimes and, and, and wash, watch Jesus wash our feet or watch Jesus give us what, what we consider blessings and what we consider good things. And, and we still want to stipulate conditions because we don't yet get that what Jesus is doing is on a daily basis. He's washing us from dirt, debris, and dung that we all pick up through our daily living. And this is called sanctification, that Jesus would make us more like him every day, not just so that we would be clean, but that we would be able to do that for one another and share the gospel. So maybe you're here today and you do feel like your feet are dirty and you do feel like you've stepped in a lot of piles that are not good and you do feel like you need to be cleansed. I have good news for you. Jesus is still sanctifying us every single day. This is the good news for us that this is still happening to each of us that are disciples every single day. We are being washed for his purpose. So the second thing that we see is that disciples stoop because we are washed daily, because we understand the gravity of sitting in this chair. We understand that we need Jesus to wash our feet. We need Jesus to sanctify us daily. We understand how broken, how sinful, and how prone we are to wander and betray him. And so we need Jesus to sanctify us every single day. And again, I have to remind us, disciples, this is not optional. This is a requirement. If you consider yourself a disciple of Jesus, if you consider yourself someone who has placed your life or has, has uh, committed your life to Christ, then this is not optional. optional. Sanctification is a part of our fellowship with Jesus. Disciples stoop because they are washed daily. And finally, verses 12, verse 12 through 15. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done, what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done. So beautiful, Jesus stands up and says, all right, now let me explain to you because you probably don't get it. Now I don't need to add a lot to to the words of Christ. But let me just kind of highlight some of the things he's saying. Now, it's beautiful that he just doesn't just give us an example of humility and love. He gives us an example of discipleship. He stands up and says, hey, do you understand what's going on? Do you understand what I have just done for you? And so he gives them questions. He gives them an explanation. He shows them actions. He gives them an example. What example are you giving these days? Who are you sitting down at the dinner table with these days and asking questions about life? How are you? How's your family? How's your marriage? How's work? How's your soul? For you see, what, what I think I find here is Jesus calls us to do this for, for one another. Why? Because our physical service has spiritual effects when we reveal Christ, okay? If you and I are just about good works and we go out into the world and do a lot of good deeds, that's great. But guess what? There are a lot of unbelievers that do that. There are a lot of nonprofit groups. There are a lot of people that have high moral standards who are out in the world serving every single day. So what is the difference between them and, and a disciple of Christ? Is that when we serve, there is a spiritual effect because we are sent with the power of the gospel to share the good news of Christ. And so the end goal is not just to serve. The end goal is to reveal who Jesus is. 
And I hope that that's true for us, that as we serve one another, as we serve in whatever area God's calling us to serve in, that we would be reminded that physical service actually has spiritual effects. Now, Jesus says, just as I have done, just as I have been an example, you are to serve one another. Disciples, again, this is not optional. This is not a, when you feel like it, when it's convenient, when you have time, after you've done everything else, yeah, kind of, you know, maybe, maybe help out a little bit. No, he says, your posture and my posture should be one of stooping. And so that means that maybe we need to wake up a little bit and say, are we really serving the way Christ has called us to serve? Maybe that's here in our gathering, setting up. Again, the physical has spiritual effects. Maybe it's in our neighborhood groups. Maybe it's in our growth groups. Maybe it's with our unbelieving friends. Maybe it's with our neighborhoods and our networks and the nations. And actually, it's not maybe. It is with all those things. Because Jesus says, I did this for you because I loved you, because I condescended, and I came and I stooped and I served you. You are to do the same to one another. Who is helping you wash your feet? And who are you helping wash theirs? You see, the sanctification process was not meant just for you and Jesus. Jesus didn't say, hey, you know what? I'm here to wash your feet, and I gave you an example, so now wash your own feet. Pay attention to how difficult it would be for me to really take the commandment of Jesus right now. Like I, he, he basically places us in a position where our sanctification is not dependent upon ourselves. It's dependent, dependent on Christ, and it's dependent on the brothers and sisters he's placed in our lives. And so as we sit here, almost not really being able to do anything, Jesus is sanctifying us. And he very purposefully gave us a church community, a family, to help us do the same for one another. And so your sanctification, as you sit at this chair, is twofold. It's Christ working in you. It's Christ transforming you. But it is also your brothers and your sisters coming around you to serve you. And maybe sometimes that looks like you have a physical need. Maybe sometimes that looks like you need some help cooking because you just had a baby. Maybe you need some money for rent because this month was difficult. And how beautiful it is for the church to step up and show their love by giving of their resources. But maybe it's also the spiritual. Maybe it's also finally having that tough conversation you need to have. Because it is for the fellowship with Jesus, because your fellowship with Jesus is at stake. And so maybe you've been putting off a conversation that you've seen your brother or you've seen your sister walking in a path that's not good. And maybe it's time for you to step up and say, brother, sister, let me help you wash your feet. The way you are headed is not a good way. It's not a good direction. So what is at stake? It's our sanctification. It's our fellowship with Jesus. And this should land heavy on us because this is a daily process of cleaning up this dirt, this debris, this dung that, that we accumulate day by day and being humble enough to sit down in this chair. And so Jesus tells them, I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Let us take this example and let us serve one another with the end goal, not just of helping us clean up messes, but the end goal of helping us be shaped into the image of Christ as a church so that we may go out and serve and reveal him. So let me remind you that serving, that stooping, that giving is both physical 
and it is spiritual. And our sanctification involves both Jesus and our brothers and sisters. Let's finish up. Verses 16 and 17. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Jesus gently reminds us that the action of our identity, of our love, is to be a servant and a messenger. Now, it's interesting he changes his words from master and Lord, right? And now the words he will use to describe them are what? Servant and messenger. Sounds kind of familiar, right? We're a family of missionary servants. For you see, this would be the act that would start him commissioning them out. He would send them out. And so he is now in this private moment, this intimate moment with them. He reminds them, hey, you're not greater than your master. And you're not greater than the one that sent you. So if he who did this for you humbled and, and, and stooped down, how much more are you, to, are you to do this for others? And he redefines for us what stooping means. He redefines for us what love means. He redefines for us what serving means. But guess what? At the very end, in verse 17, he says, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. He also redefines what blessing is. Many of us, including myself, when we talk about blessing, we talk about the things that God has given us. We talk about the things that, that we receive. And yes, those are God's gracious gifts to us. But what if this year... As a church that goes from sitting to stooping, we begin to use the word blessing around the context of serving. What if this year, when people ask you how you are, and you say, man, I'm blessed. Man, God's blessed me so much. Really? Why? It wouldn't be, I got this promotion, I got this car, my kids are finally behaving, my husband's finally taking out the trash without me asking him to. That it wouldn't be these things, good things. But that we would say, man, we've really had such a beautiful opportunity this year to serve our brothers and our sisters, to serve our neighborhood, to serve our community, and to share the gospel. What if that began to be your standard of blessing? That it's giving more than it is receiving. A man is so much greater in the view of Jesus and so much nearer to him in the proportion as he consent to humble himself the more in order to serve others. And so, what must we do in response to all this? My brothers and my sisters, maybe today you're here and you're not sitting. Maybe you're standing, right? And this tends to be a lot of our posture when we're prideful. That we think we can save ourselves. And so, I'm standing up, I'm working hard, I'm, I'm trying to do things to, to better myself, to, to, you know, reach my goals and reach, reach the things I set out to do this year. And so, maybe the invitation for you is quite simple. Brother, it's time to sit down. It's time to lay down your pride. It's time to lay down all the things that you know don't fill you up. And it's time to recognize your desperate need for Jesus. And maybe it's time to sit. And my brother and my sister, maybe today you're here and you're sitting and you're debating whether or not to stand up because you know your feet are filthy. You know there are things in your life that are just not good right now. And you don't want them there, but, but you don't want to sit here because you don't want Jesus close to you because it's so hard because you know how humbling it is to be before the God of the universe when you are this wicked, when you are this dirty. Let me remind you, fam, that Jesus is here to serve and to wash us. 
So please do not stand up from this chair. Please sit and pray that God, that Jesus would wash you. And not just that, be reminded that you have a beautiful church family that is ready and willing to come around you to help wash all the things that maybe you've picked up over time. And so sit here, be humble enough to drop your pride and say, Jesus, I need you to wash me. And to say to your brothers and sisters, family, I need help. I've sat multiple times in this chair and I can remember very specifically one time where I felt like I was at the deepest end. I was at the lowest point of my life and I sat here and I had to say, I need help, brothers. And the response was so beautiful. The response was so transformative that 11 brothers would come around me and they would pray for me and they would hold me accountable and they would point me to Christ. And over the following months will help restore my fellowship with Jesus so that I today can be here, humbled, continuing in the journey, continuing to need my brothers and my sisters to sharpen me, to point me to Christ, to continue to sanctify me so that we can carry the message of the gospel. And maybe you are already sitting in the chair, but you've gotten too comfortable. You've even done one of these. Jesus, you missed a spot. Maybe that's our posture right now. And maybe it's time that as a disciple, you be reminded that you're not just to be washed, just to come in and hang out and study the scriptures. Even Judas did that. But the response should be, Jesus, you washed me. Let me do the same for others. It's time for me to serve. And so if you've been sitting here, maybe for a good amount of time and you've received a good amount of word and you've, and you've created a good amount of community, maybe it's time to move from sitting to truly stooping, to laying yourself down, to laying your pride down, and to being reminded that as a disciple, you've been called to stoop and to serve one another. And so maybe this year, it's time for you to go from sitting to stooping. My hope and my prayer is that this year we would be a church that does that because disciples stoop because they are sent. He's given us the message of the gospel. He's given us the message of reconciliation. And so we are to share it with one another. We're to share it with the world that needs it so that we can be reconciled to God, so that we can be reconciled to one another, and so that we can love the way he has loved us. Just a final word of exhorting. This is for all of us as disciples. Pastor, elder, will you stoop Men, fathers, husbands, will you humbly stoop and serve this year? Wives, mothers, women, will you humbly stoop? Will you be a disciple that stoops? Business owner, manager, supervisor, worker, will you stoop? Disciple, will you take on the love of Christ? Will you be sanctified by him? Will you allow yourself to be helped by others in this faith community? And will you in return out of your love for Christ stoop? Let's pray. Father God, we're so humbled that <clears throat> you would send Jesus to show us the extent of your love for us he left his glory in heaven to come and to serve, 
not to be served. Father God, we repent because many days we do not have that in our hearts. We do not have that action in our lives. Why? Because we're full of pride. We're full of ourselves. We're not full of you. And so we live a life that's convenient and comfortable. And when we are asked to do things, we say, I just don't know. I just don't have the time. I just don't think that's firm for me to do. And yet, as you begin to talk to the ones you love about what it is they are to do, you say, if you are my disciple, if you will represent me on this earth, your job is to allow yourself to be cleansed so that you too can stoop, so that you too can serve, so that you too can reveal who Jesus is to one another and to the world. Father, humble us daily to allow ourselves to be washed by you, to be served by one another, to be shaped into your image and to take the good news of the gospel that we are reconciled because of the finished work of Christ, because of his death and resurrection, because he is making all, thing, all things new, even us. Let that, let that message, Lord, just, just be true for us. And let that be what drives us to truly serve one another. And as we take communion today, Lord, I pray that we be reminded of how great your love is for us, that you would condescend, that you would serve us. And today, as we come to table, we are reminded of your humbling love, of your stooping love. And so let us take communion, remembering that you have called us to do the same for one another. Let us point to you in all things. In your name we pray. Amen.